Our scripture today comes from Ezra chapter 6. Then Darius the king made a decree, and search was made in Babylonia and the house of the archives where the documents were stored. And in Ekbatna, the citadel that is in the province of Media, a scroll was found on which this was written, a record in the year of Cyrus the king, Cyrus the king issued a decree. Concerning the house of God at Jerusalem, let the house be rebuilt, the place where sacrifices were offered, and let its foundations be retained. Its height shall be 60 cubits, and its breadth 60 cubits, with three layers of great stones and one layer of timber. Let the cost be paid from the royal treasury, and also... Let the gold and silver vessels of the house of God, which Nebuchadnezzar took out of the temple that is in Jerusalem and brought to Babylon, be restored and brought back to the temple that is in Jerusalem, each to its place. You shall put them in the house of God. Now therefore, Tatanai, governor of the province beyond the river, Shethar Bozani, and your associates, the governors who are in the province beyond the river, keep away. Let the work on this house of God alone. Let the governor of the Jews and the elders of the Jews rebuild this house of God on its site. Moreover, I make a decree regarding what you shall do for these elders of the Jews, for the rebuilding of this house of God. The cost is to be paid to these men in full and without delay from the royal revenue the tribute of the province from beyond the river, and whatever is needed, bulls, rams, or sheep for burnt offerings to the God of heaven, wheat, salt, wine, or oil, as the priests at Jerusalem require. Let that be given to them day by day without fail, that they may offer pleasing sacrifices to God of heaven, and pray for the life of the king and his sons. Also, I make a decree that if anyone alters this edict, a beam shall be pulled out of his house, and he shall be impaled on it, and his house shall be made a dunghill. May the God who has caused his name to dwell there overthrow any king or people who shall put out a hand to alter this, or to destroy this house of God that is in Jerusalem. I, Darius, make a decree. Let it be done with all diligence." Then, according to the word sent by Darius the king, Tanai, the governor of the province beyond the river, Shethar Bozani and their associates did with all diligence what Darius the king had ordered. Then the elders of the Jews built and pro prospered through the prophesying of Haggai, the prophet, and Zechariah the son of Iddo. They finished their building by decree of the God of Israel and by decree of Cyrus and Darius and Artaxerxes, king of Persia. This house was finished on the third day of the month of Adar, and in the sixth year of the reign of Darius the king. And the people of Israel, the priests, and the Levites, and the rest of the returned exiles celebrated the dedication of this house of God with joy. They offered at the dedication of this house of God 100 bulls, 200 rams, 400 lambs, and as a sin offering for all of Israel, 12 male goats, according to the number of the tribes of Israel. And they set the priests in their divisions and the Levites in their divisions for the service of God at Jerusalem, as it is written in the book of Moses. On the 14th day of the first month, the returned exiles kept the Passover. For the priests and the Levites had purified themselves together, 
all of them were clean. So they slaughtered the Passover lamb for all the returned exiles and for their fellow priests and for themselves. It was eaten by the people of Israel who had returned from exile and also by everyone who had joined them and separated himself from the uncleanliness of the people of the land to worship the Lord, the God of Israel. And they kept the feast of unleavened bread seven days with joy, for the Lord had made them joyful and had turned the hearts of the king of Assyria to them, so that he aided them in the work of the house of God, the God of Israel. Father, as we continue to worship you, we, we just join in the worship celebration of these faithful servants of yours who dedicated their life to rebuilding your temple. And God, I pray today that uh, because the temple has been fully rebuilt and sent to us in Jesus, I pray that our worship would be full and meaningful and uplifting not just to us, but most of all to you, O oh God, as we continue now to worship you in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. Feel free to be seated and keep your Bibles open to Ezra chapter 6 uh, as we continue our journey today. It's an exciting, exciting day to, to, to be celebrating together in worship of, of our God. I'll ask you a question. What is the best thing that's ever happened to you? The best thing that's ever happened to you. You might think of uh, meaningful relationships. Uh, you might think of challenging work accomplishments that you've had. You might think of sports or educational accomplishments that you might have had. You might even think of the generosity that God showed to you through putting you in the, the family that you experienced as you grew up. Maybe your parents or brothers or sisters or wife or kids or, or, or grandkids. Um, there are scores of people and events and episodes in life, as I think you would agree with me, that are just incredible. And there are great things that have happened in our life. It blows my mind to try to settle on the best thing, the best thing that's ever happened to me. When good things happen that we might even put in the categories of best things, I think we have to agree also that uh, these kinds of things come along with challenges, Every event that happens in life produces and develops along with it challenges. Every victory we win, every choice we make creates challenges. And every challenge presents an opportunity. Uh, when the major challenges that we face in life are overcome, then we celebrate and that's where we are today in Ezra chapter 6. In Ezra chapter 6, we're in the middle of an episode where faithful servants of God had returned from captivity in Babylon to Israel for a purpose, to rebuild the temple. Um, these faithful people who were devoted to God rebounded from making some really bad choices 
Those of you who have been with us the last few weeks, you, you remember that for 15 to 20 years, work on the temple had ceased. They went back to rebuild the temple, but they were delayed. They were uh, distracted from the main reason that they went back. But they rebounded from making very poor choices to making some really great choices. So the result of these great choices led to a victorious celebration. We live in a world today where it's difficult to celebrate. There's so many negative things going on in our world and we're tempted to be pulled aside to those negative things that are going on in the world or maybe even some bad choices that we made, some failures that we've had. And we tend to dwell on those rather than dwell on celebrating as God has presented for us in our life today so many victories, so many victorious things to celebrate. And today that's what I want to call us to do from God's Word. I want to call us to celebrate along with these faithful workers who finally carried on with their task of rebuilding the temple. They came to a time of celebration and we have some things in common with them that we can also celebrate. Four things particularly right out of this passage. And so you have your Bible open. Let's see what we have to celebrate today. That these faithful servants who rebuilt the temple, were in the process of rebuilding the temple, uh, had to celebrate. First of all, we can celebrate God's providence. We can celebrate God's providence. Uh, remember now, 15 to 20 years had passed earlier and the work on the temple had ceased because of threats, because of distractions. The work on the temple had ceased, but not this time. Look at verse 1. Then Darius the king made a decree, and a search was made in Babylon in the house of the archives where the documents were stored. And in Ekbatana, the citadel that is in the province of Media, a scroll was found on which this was written a record in the first year of Cyrus the king Cyrus the king issued a decree so we pick up here and in verses verses 3 through 5 we see that when this search was made the original orders from Cyrus the king were discovered the exact dimensions were given for the temple 90 feet high 90 feet wide three courses of large stones and one course of timbers and the original commitment for Persia to cover the cost of rebuilding the temple was fully honored and not only that the original commitment for the vessels of the temple that Nebuchadnezzar had taken captive to Babylon, taken away from Babylon, the silver, the gold vessels, all the elements, the instruments of the temple for carrying out worship were also fully recovered and fully restored. Have you discovered today that where God guides, God provides? Now, you've probably heard that said before. But I want us to focus today as we, set, as we focus on the providence of God. Think about the fact that God provides when we plug our lives into following 
His guidance. And what God provides is not always what we want. In fact, if you look at the life of Jesus, the life of Jesus was filled with one challenge after another. But he carefully and fully followed God's guidance. And God provided him the strength when he needed strength. He provided him the power to overcome being physically abused. And so when we say where God guides, God provides, that doesn't mean that life is going to be a bed of roses. In fact, it means just the opposite. But the truth remains the same. Where God guides, God provides. And providence is what we call God's guidance. Providence is God providing protection and spiritual care and watch care for those who faithfully follow Him. God always provides exactly what we need to fully carry out His will. In Deuteronomy chapter 34, Moses was 120 years old. He was about to die. And he commissioned Joshua to pick up where he left off and lead God's people, Israel, into the promised land. Moses had led Joshua well. Moses coached Joshua. Moses mentored Joshua very well. And so when Joshua picked up the mantle of leadership, the first thing he did was order two spies to go in and, according to the language of the Bible, spy out the land, search out the land to see what was in front of them. Now, Joshua had been a part of a search party like this 40 years earlier. And because of the failure of the leadership, with 10 of the 12 spies who went into the land, Israel was delayed 40 years because they were disobedient to God. But this time Joshua sent two spies, and the very first encounter they had was with Rahab, a prostitute who lived in the wall at Jericho. And Rahab took these two spies and hid them on the roof of her house and then provided them with all the information that they needed for Israel to victoriously begin their conquest of the promised land. She served as an agent of God's providence, a prostitute. God used her for His purpose of providing what Israel needed by way of information to take the promised land. And by the way, Rahab in Matthew chapter 1 is listed in the genealogy of Jesus, by the way. She served as an agent of God's providence. So today, I want you to join me in celebrating God's providence. What do we have to celebrate? Well, in John chapter 14, we have... A primary thing that we can celebrate. Jesus said, let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you that I go and prepare a place for you. Listen to God's providence here now. If I go and provide, go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself. That where I am, there you may be also. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. 
God's providence for you and me today to have restored relationship with Him is Jesus Christ, our Savior. Jesus left this earth victoriously. Jesus celebrated victory over death. Jesus conquered death when He died for your sins and my sins. That was God's providence. And then on the third day, Jesus arose from the grave to have victory over death. That was God's providence for you and for me. And that's not all. Jesus promised that He is coming back. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, which we're going to be looking at, 1 Thessalonians next month in the month of March in our, in our Sunday evening adventures. Here's what the Bible says, For the Lord Himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel, with the sound of the trumpet of God. And the dead in Christ will rise first, then we who are alive and are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. God's providence for you and me is that one day, just as surely as He came to this earth the first time, and walked on this earth for 33 years, He's coming back again. And in God's providence, those who believe, those who know Him, are going to be caught up together with Him to live with Him for eternity. This is God's providence. And that's grounds today for victorious celebration. For every believer, we can celebrate God's providence. Secondly, in verses 6 through 12, we see that we can celebrate God's generosity. Not only can we celebrate God's providence, we can celebrate God's generosity. Now, let's see how this works out. Look at verse 6. Now, therefore, Tatnai, governor of the province beyond the river, Shethar Bozani, and your associates, the governors who are in the province beyond the river, keep away. Let the work on this house of God alone. Let the governor of the Jews and the elders of the Jews rebuild this house of God on its site. So what happened here? Well, God moved the heart of this pagan king, Darius, to assure protection for those who were faithfully rebuilding the temple. One of the primary roles of a father is to provide and to protect his family. And God was generous in providing protection for the builders of the temple. Look at verse 8. Moreover, I make a decree regarding what you shall do for these elders of the Jews for rebuilding this house of God. The cost is to be paid to these men in full, without delay, from the royal revenue, the tribute of the providence beyond the river. All those who joined Haggai and Zerubbabel and Zechariah and Joshua in rebuilding the temple would not only be protected, they would even be paid in full from the Persian treasury for their labor and their supplies. 
Now that sounds incredible. It sounds like Darius was so generous. But look carefully at the scripture. God moved the heart of Darius. It was the hand of God that provided generously for his people. God was over the top generous to his people. Continuing in verse 9, whatever is needed, bulls, rams, sheep, for burnt offerings to the God of heaven, wheat, salt, wine, or oil, as the priests at Jerusalem require, let that be given to them day by day without fail, that they may offer pleasing sacrifices to the God of heaven and pray for the life of the king and his sons. Let me say it again. This is just, this is unbelievable. God moved the heart of Darius to provide the daily sacrifice needs for the construction crew for their daily worship. The generosity of God was over the top. Not only building materials and construction materials, but the sacrifices were provided for the daily worship of these workers. Now worship is important, critically important. Corporate worship like this is vital to our life. But are you aware that daily worship is also critical and vital to our life? This gesture on behalf of Darius to provide everything for the daily sacrifices of God's people was somewhat symbolic for you and me today to have daily worship of God. What has God done for us? Well, He's provided the only sacrifice that we need to have relationship with Him and to have power for daily living with Him. He became man. He sent Himself in the form of Jesus Christ to provide the sacrifice for you and me to daily pour out our hearts in worship to Him. Now, when I talk about daily worship, I'm talking about basically three things. Number one, I'm talking about prayerfully reading God's Word every day. He has given us the gift of His written Word. That's the story about His living Word. And so daily, we need to take a little bit of His Word prayerfully into our life. Secondly, not only do we look at His Word prayerfully every day, but we praise God for His faithfulness to lead us through that day. When I get up in the morning, I read God's Word, I look at God's Word, I say, okay, God, as I move through this day today, let this, Your Word, encourage me and supply everything I need to give glory to You throughout this day. And then thirdly, we ask Him for strength to honor and to represent Him in this dark and desperate world that we live. And so every day, we just take a few minutes and connect with God in daily worship. Why? Because He has provided the sacrifice for us to be able to do that. And our response to that should be daily to worship Him. So today... I encourage you to join these workers and these worshipers in celebrating God's uh, 
generosity by daily worshiping Him. By the way, I love the postscript that Darius put on this request. Look at verse 10. He said that they may offer pleasing sacrifices to the God of heaven and pray for the life of the king and his sons. (laughs) Isn't that incredible? He said, boys, as you pray, just throw one in for me and my family. Even a pagan king knew that there was power in prayer to the true and living God. It never hurts to be prayed for, does it? Even a pagan king knew that. And then verse 11, also I make a decree that if anyone alters this edict, a beam shall be pulled out of his house and he shall be impaled on it. Ouch. I mean, just imagine that. I mean, this king was serious about the decree that he was making. Pull a beam out of the house and impale them on it. And his house shall be made a dunghill. Not a pretty sight. May the God who has caused his name to dwell there overthrow any king or people who shall put out a hand to alter this or destroy this house of God that is in Jerusalem. I, Darius, make a decree. Let it be done with all diligence. So Darius placed a severe warning for punishment against anyone who tried to slow down or hinder or alter the building of God's temple in Jerusalem. The decree of Darius was over-the-top generous. And the generosity wasn't coming from Darius. It was coming because God moved his heart. And God is over-the-top generous to those today like you and me who are faithful to know Him and to follow Him and to be committed to carry out His commission to us here on this earth as well. Now, just a side note here. What this is not talking about, when I talk about over-the-top generosity of God, I'm not talking about prosperity theology. This is very different from prosperity theology. Let me explain the difference. Prosperity gospel says that financial blessing and physical well-being are always the will of God for believers. That is nowhere found in God's Word. In fact, the model of Jesus for you and me was that, and the promise for Him was, if we choose to follow Him, there will be suffering. There's going to be persecution. There's no prosperity gospel in this Word of God. None whatsoever. None. The generosity of God means that when we are committed to carry out His purpose and His plan, He's going to give us what we need to carry out that purpose and that plan. That's the generosity of God. It may come through strange sources. Point in case here in this scripture passage. But God is going to provide what we need, not for our prosperity, our good, but so that His name might be glorified. So the generosity of God is always attached to supplying what we need to accomplish His purpose and not our prosperity. Just wanted to clear that up. 
So we celebrate God's generosity for carrying out His purpose for our life. So celebrate God's providence, celebrate God's generosity. Thirdly, if we continue in verse 13, we celebrate God's provision. Now, all of these overlap. I hope you understand that. There's, there's no definite line between any of these uh, gifts of, of God to those who faithfully serve Him. But in verses 13 through 18, we certainly are called to celebrate God's provision. Verse 13, Then according to the word sent by Darius the king, Tatnai, the governor of the province beyond the river, Shethar, Bozani, and their associates did with all diligence what Darius the king had ordered. And the elders of the Jews built and prospered through the prophesying of Haggai the prophet and Zechariah son of Iddo. They finished their building by decree of God of, the God of Israel and by the decree of Cyrus and Darius and Artaxerxes, king of Persia. And this house was finished on the third day of the month of Adar, in the sixth year of the reign of Darius the king. And so, it's time to celebrate the purpose that God sent these faithful servants back from exile in Babylon, back to Jerusalem to accomplish was finally finished. The temple in Jerusalem was built by these faithful servants of God. And they combined their energy and their service with the resources that God provided from foreign pagan kings. Now some things can only be accomplished by the provision of God. What else do you think would have moved the heart of these pagan kings to be compassionately benevolent toward God's purpose? If you have your Bible, look over at Psalm chapter 37. Psalm chapter 37 and verse 4. Here's what the Bible says. Delight yourself in the Lord... And he will give you the desires of your heart. Now, this is one of the most misused verses in all of the Bible. Most people dwell on that second part of this verse. But the provision of God starts by you finding delight in him. To delight in the Lord means that first and foremost... You have to know Him personally. God calls us to know Him for a number of reasons. He wants us to discover the, the many attributes that are worthy of delight in Him. He also desires a relationship with us because He made us to be relational beings. He made us for the purpose of fellowshipping with Him, of relating to Him. Are you aware that you are made in God's image for a reason? It's so that you can love Him. You can't love Him without being in relationship with Him. He desires time with you. He desires relationship with you. Like a father and a friend longs for relationship with their children. God calls us to that kind of relationship with Him. 
And as our father and friend, he longs for us to discuss what is important to our life, the challenges that we have in life, the opportunities that we have in our life. And God calls us daily to press on to know him because the exercise of seeking him strengthens us and nurtures our souls. So our invitation to seek him, to know him, might be one of the most valuable resources that you have, one of the most valuable privileges that you have. So how do you delight in the Lord? Well, no amount of self-determination can produce that sincere delight It's a byproduct of knowing Him. You walk with Him. You talk with Him. You surrender to Him. You submit to Him. And that takes time and energy and effort daily. But when you invest that time and energy and effort, you come to truly know Him. And you can't truly know Him without delighting in Him. Then He puts His perfect desires in your heart. So here's how that works. Delight yourself in the Lord. When you delight yourself in the Lord, your desires become His desires. And when His desires are your desires, then you can't help but delight in the Lord. Jesus said it this way. Jesus said, not my will, but yours be done, O Lord. Have you prayed that prayer today? Not my will, but yours be done, O Lord. Delight yourself in the Lord, and He will give you the desires of your heart. Back to Ezra chapter 6, verse 16. The people of Israel, the priests and the Levites, and the rest of the returned exiles celebrated the dedication of this house of God with joy. They offered at the dedication of this house of God a hundred bulls, two hundred rams, four hundred lambs, and as a sin offering for all Israel, twelve male goats, according to the number of the tribes of Israel. And they set the priests in their divisions and the Levites in their divisions for the service of God at Jerusalem, as it is written in the book of Moses. Let the celebration begin upon the completion of the temple. It was time to worship, time to dedicate this structure. Now, only three tribes were represented in this scenario, the tribe of Benjamin, the tribe of Judah, and the tribe of Levi. But sacrifices were made for all 12 of the tribes of Israel. Some of these tribes never really returned to worshiping God in their spirit, truly. But nevertheless, a sacrifice was made for them. God made the ultimate provision for the whole world today through Jesus. And today we have this to celebrate. Again, if you have your Bible, I want you to open to a familiar passage. We've been studying it in our small groups as we have moved through John chapter 3. In John chapter 3, verse 17. For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, 
but in order that the world might be saved through Him. Verse 18, Whoever believes in Him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. Let the celebration begin. God has provided not just for a chosen few, but for the whole world, the whole world to know Him. God so loved the world that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. Only three tribes worked on rebuilding the temple. All twelve received the sacrifice. Jesus died for the whole world. That's you. That's me. The whole world. So today we celebrate God's provision. Not only do we celebrate His providence and His generosity, we celebrate His provision. And finally today, as we come to a time of worship, worshiping God through communion, listen to verse 19. On the 14th day of the first month, the returned exiles kept the Passover, for the priests and the Levites had purified themselves together. All of them were clean, so they slaughtered the Passover lamb for all the returned exiles, for their fellow priests, and for themselves. It was eaten by the people of Israel who had returned from exile, and also by everyone who had joined them and separated himself from the uncleanness of the peoples of the land to worship the Lord, the God of Israel. And they kept the Feast of Unleavened Bread seven days with joy, for the Lord had made them joyful and had turned the heart of the king of Assyria to them, so that he aided them in the work of the house of God, the God of Israel." Again, God's people celebrated by installing temple officials and restoring the Passover celebration and the Feast of Unleavened Bread. The Passover celebration and the Feast of Unleavened Bread were remembrance celebrations. God had orchestrated that Israel always remember how on the night before he freed them from Pharaoh and Egypt, the blood of the lamb was put over the doorpost so that the death angel would pass over and not destroy the firstborn of that household. The blood of the lamb. And then the instructions were not to use yeast in bread because it wouldn't have time to rise. It wouldn't have time to rise before it was time to pack up and leave and get out of Egypt and head toward the promised land. These were remembrance celebrations. God miraculously guided Israel from slavery in Egypt and He guided them into the promised land. And so we join these servants in celebrating God's guidance today. We invite you to celebrate God's guidance in your life. Whether your life has fallen apart and everything is going south, downhill, 
or whether you feel like everything in your life is going perfect, you need God's guidance. And His guidance is very personal. So let me ask you this. Do you know Him? Have you come to that point in your life where you know for sure that you personally know God? His guidance is specific. I hope you're aware that you're not here today by accident. God is sovereign. You're here today because of His providence and generosity and provision and guidance. And He's brought you here today to connect with Him. To have fellowship with Him. Maybe, for some of you, to give your life to Him today. If you haven't done that, I pray that today will be the day when God's guidance becomes personal for you and becomes specific for you. His guidance is trustworthy. So what is keeping you from trusting Him? So many distractions out there we talked about last time. But nothing is more important in life than you putting your trust in a trustworthy God who is specific in knowing your needs, who has given His life so you can know Him. What's the best thing that's ever happened to you? If you're like me, that question just kind of blows your mind. Things start rolling over in your mind. Honestly, for me, the best thing that ever happened to me was the day that I realized I was sinking deep in sin. And I admitted that I was a sinner. And then... I believe that Jesus paid the price to pay the penalty for my sin. And then I repented of my sin, committed my life to living the rest of my life for Jesus. That is the best thing that's ever happened in my life. So I ask you, has has that happened to you? If not, I pray that it will happen to you right now, today. Two things as we wrap it up and share together in communion. First of all, the will of God will always be accomplished. There's there's nothing you can do to stop the will of God from being accomplished. So I encourage you to, to, to give up living for yourself and give up drawing a circle around your own life and thinking that all of life evolves around you. And submit your life to God. Commit your life to God. Secondly, you can join this victorious celebration today. I want to invite you to take your communion pack that was in your seat when you came in today. And and go ahead and take the ends off and hold the bread in your hand and hold the cup in your hand. There are two remembrance celebrations that are critical to your life today. Uh, The first one is represented by this pool over here. It's it's a baptismal pool. Um, 
It's a remembrance of what Jesus did for us in going to the cross and, and dying. He was buried, put in a tomb, and on the third day he arose from the grave. If you've never followed Christ in baptism, I want to encourage you to let us help you with that. Because that's the first step in letting the whole world know that you have committed your life to Jesus. But then just before Jesus went to the cross and was crucified, he, on Passover, he took the bread and the cup and he shared with his closest friends, his closest followers. He said, this bread represents my body. I came to this world and lived as a man. I lived a perfect life. I was sinless. I'm going to the cross and I'm going to shed my blood to pay the price for the penalty of your sin. And he said, as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, remember me until I come again. God, I pray today that as we do what you've asked us to do, commit our life to you first of all. This is a meaningless ritual unless we're walking with you and we know you. And so today, God, I pray that as we bow and prepare our hearts to eat this bread and drink this cup, we'll make sure that we know you. And if not, I pray right now, there'll be some who will say, I asked Jesus to come into my life and save me today. I want to live the rest of my life for him. And so today, we eat this bread and drink this cup and Lord Jesus, we remember you, our sacrificial lamb, until you come back again. In Jesus' name, amen.